I have, I have an, regarding Jose Batista and the Twins, I, it's weird to say that, I have a notion that I want to squash and then a question I want to pose to you. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good... Quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. And if you're listening as this podcast is being posted on Tuesday, January 10th, and you're anywhere in the Twin Cities area or even in the upper Midwest, this is about as far away from baseball season as you can possibly get. In fact, we're the only reason why we're still in the office today doing this podcast late at night is because we don't want to dig our cars out of the parking lot at 1500 ESPN. I'm actually, I'm just going to wait till it all melts. That's my plan. <laughs> I set up a cot here at the Hubbard Studios. I will, uh, I will see you in Fort Myers. What would happen if you just left your car out there and went to Fort Myers tomorrow? That's kind of what Royce did, I guess, last week. Yeah, well... Come back in two months and see if your car is still there. And if the snow is even gone by then. It might not be. Ugh. That's... That's brutal to think of. Um, say, a couple of things as we talk about... We sort of said this on the radio today, so I'm borrowing the joke. But this is not hot stove season. This is like your stove has been shut off, you bagged the soup that you had been cooking, and now it's in the deep freeze. And what's baffling to me is like the biggest move of the Twins offseason might still be on the horizon. So we, we'll get into... All of that stuff on future podcast episodes. We've done it in past podcast episodes. Certainly there's a lot of Brian Dozier talk on 1500ESPN.com right now. But there are two other players that I want to talk about on this podcast, Phil. One of them is employed by the Twins, and one of them might be employed by the Twins, as laughable as it sounds to talk about uh, those two two players I'm referencing. One would be Joe Maurer, and the other would be Jose Bautista. The Bautista one, okay, that's This will be a mixed bag podcast is what I'm getting at. So I believe it was our buddy Rhett Bollinger at MLB.com who sort of floated the notion in some kind of a piece on, on uh, the Twins website today that the Twins have at least spoken to the agent of Jose Batista recently, I think, because I don't know who his agent is, but if he represents other players, then just by association, you would have spoken to his agent. But I'm assuming that recently what Rhett means is they've spoken to Jose Batista's agent about Jose Batista specifically. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If a guy... And he had kind of a down year last year, 22 home runs, 116 games, a couple injury issues. He batted 234, still got on base. I mean, he's still a plus-plus offensive player. But if a guy with over 300 career home runs, most of them in the last seven years, is still available like three or four weeks before spring training is set to begin, why not make a phone call? Yeah. Well, this this 
it's kind of like the weird evolution of sluggers, I think. This is the way I view this. Like guys like, you know, Mark Trumbo, um, Jose Bautista, you're seeing players who put up big um, counting stats like RBI, home runs, things like that. And teams, I just feel like they're valuing them less. I feel like teams now see, here's another perfect example, Chris Carter. Chris Carter posts, you know, huge home run and RBI numbers. And, like, he's not that valuable of a player in the eyes of MLB front offices. I, I think they didn't they DFA him? I'm, I'm pretty sure they after he hit thirty I, or forty bombs and they DFA. Yeah, him. I want to see exactly how many it was. I think it was forty. I think he hit forty bombs and got DFA'd. Forty one. There it is. Forty one, and then the Brewers uh, designated him. And and that's like not to not to belittle his strength, right? Chris Carter has his weaknesses as a player. He has his flaws, but he also has this incredible strength that it just seems like teams aren't valuing the same way that they were. That's why I think you're seeing sort of. I don't know if this is a Jose Bautista market shriveling up or other teams just saying like, hey, look, I don't know. We could get a reasonable semblance of power for much, much cheaper than the you know five years, $150 million that was once being talked about for Jose Bautista. And I think that was being talked about by Jose Bautista's and camp a year ago. Sure. <laughs> In fact, there's, if, you, if you Google Jose Bautista $150 million, you'll see all the articles from last February, just a year ago, how he wanted that or he wasn't going to resign well, with the Toronto Blue Jays. Irvin Santana once was said to be seeking a $100 million deal, and he didn't get that, of course. But I, he got about you know half of that, whatever it ended up being. I'd just like to float out there that I'd be very comfortable working for the Touch em All podcast and for 1500ESPN.com next year for like $2 million. I'm, I'm bargain basement price. I am comfortable working for that six-figure salary, seven-figure salary. I got news. Radio doesn't usually offer more than about uh, a five-minute contract. So <laughs> it may say that you have a multi-year yeah. contract, but they still have all the leverage. It's like the NFL, no guaranteed yeah, money. 100%. Uh, so I have... I have an, regarding Jose Batista and the Twins. I, it's weird to say that. I have a notion that I want to squash, and then a question I want to pose to you. Number one, the notion that well, they already have a bunch of first base DH types. You know, what would you log jam this that? I don't care. I don't care that he's thirty six. If the money worked and he wanted to play for the Twins, and it wasn't a if it was like a short term Jim Tomey type situation, if you're not getting into a five year deal taking him into his forties. If he wants to play here for two years and a bunch of money over two years, that would be super fun. I think he's among the target field leaders in home runs yeah. all time <laughs> since 2010. And I'm sorry to Byung-Ho Park and Kenny Vargas and some of these other guys. He'll be a DH. He'll play some first base. If he still has an outfield glove, you can hide him in right field or something once in a while. So notion number one, you'll find a spot for him in the lineup if he wants to play here and the contract demands aren't ridiculous, which I think that's a non-starter. My question is, what would you, if you're the Twins, not Jose Batista, if you're the Twins, what's the most in terms of money and years you would give to a 36-year-old slugger who doesn't really have a defensive position? Well, okay, so you're putting me on the spot because today is literally the first time I considered the notion. Oh, me too. <laughs> this is why this is great. Yeah, like, so, I, I mean, my answer in three days after having uh, meditated on the situation a little more might be different. But what I'm You're thinking, spending other people's money, too, totally, so you can splurge a little bit. Totally, yes. I'm going on a shopping spree right now. Now, if you're giving me $60 million to spend, I'm probably spending it somewhere else. But just for funsies... I would do a three-year deal, wouldn't you? Wow. I mean, take him to age 39. Wow, you're even, look at you're even more all-in than I am. But, I said two years. But 
Well, I just think three years lines up with kind of the window. How about a vesting option for both sides? No, I want a team option. Well, he's not going to agree to just a team team. option. He's unemployed on January 10th. You think he'll be unemployed in a month? He's agreeing to what I'm demanding right now. This is my shopping spree. (laughs) I think. By the way, just because he's unemployed doesn't mean homeless. (laughs) (laughs) He he's not uh, he's not actually filing for unemployment anytime soon. I would guess a little bit different than. Uh, if the rest of us were in that situation. But I do think that you're seeing the market for powerful corner bats especially. And when I say corner bats, I mean first base, third base, right field, left field, DH. I think that you're seeing the market shift from having guys who put up all these gaudy numbers were great, and that's awesome. But now, if you're the uh, Dodgers, for example, and you can get 30 or 40 home runs out of second base, by the way, offer still on the table, I think that you are much more keen to go after something like that because those home runs are hard to replace. Whereas finding a right fielder who could hit 20 bombs, I bet you Oswaldo Arcia could hit 20 bombs this year. right? And how many teams gave up on him last year? Young-ho Park, if, if, if he plays 150 games, will hit 20 home runs. Yes. Might be a train wreck everywhere else. Sure. Might strike out 372 times, but he will hit 20 home runs. So my point, I guess, is that Home runs are great, and I hope that we don't swing the pendulum too far in the other direction, saying, like, home runs are meaningless, and I don't care about dingers. I just want walks. It's like, look, I love on-base percentage probably more than the next guy. But let's not pretend like home runs are meaningless. Let's not get so far swung on this pendulum that power numbers and, and driving in runs are just utterly meaningless yes a lot of it has to do with the opportunity a lot of it has to do with plate appearances with men in scoring position we've seen these this fact play out over and over and over again but that's not to say somebody who comes through so consistently and posts such great power numbers doesn't have value i'm just what i'm seeing phil is teams turning towards saying okay i like 40 bombs but if i can get 20 bombs for five hundred thousand dollars and then spend the rest of that money on my pitching staff or an elite closer, I'd rather do that than pay the marquee bat to, to hit 35, 40, okay, 45 right. homers. Three years, 50. If he said, yes. on the dotted line, I would, I would come to the Twins for three years, 50 million. Two is, years, club option, you got yourself a deal. Holy cow. <laughs> we just spent $50 million on Jose Batista. That's fine. It's not my money. Man, Jose Batista, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler. Bring Ploof back, too. Let's just get everyone. Sure. Everyone with a low batting average and a bunch of home runs. I think you could see that one wrapping up soon, too, uh, for what it's worth. But uh, I don't know exactly where the Twins' former third baseman is going to sign. But uh, that'd be a lot of power in that lineup. Yeah, that would um, – I, I don't know. I, I, I would probably – I'd give him two years. A third year – This is such This is such ridiculous speculation. You're, but You're flushing money down the toilet, and in that third year, guess who's off the books? Joe Maurer's $23 million. Okay, then make it $60 million. Yeah. <laughs> $20 million a year for Jose Batista. That's a good segue. You have a column on 1500ESPN.com. Uh, Joe Maurer, we've had, we've had a couple Joe Maurer centric episodes. And by the way, congrats to us. Last week was episode 100 of the touch them all podcast. Yeah. We, we forgot did, we to totally forgot to acknowledge, forgot it, to so. pat ourselves on the back. So here it is. Let's uh, pour one out for the touch them all podcast. I will say very appropriate that we took uh, listener questions on that one, because I don't know how you feel, Phil. I feel very strongly that this podcast would not still be going at the rate it's going, if not for listener support. So I was, I'm very grateful for that overall. And I thought it was kind of just a cool coincidence that we were able to take so many listener questions on episode 100. It was very symbolic. And I might add, if we didn't have a base of listeners, there wouldn't be listeners for the podcast. Wow. 
Yeah. Profound. I know. Just want people to know yeah. that out there. So thank you for <laughs> listening to the podcast. Episode 100 last week. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. Uh, you turn me on to this. I know overall Joe Maurer has just devolved into a 260, 265 hitter the last three years who doesn't hit for nearly the doubles power that he used to and doesn't really play much more than like, you know, league average or slightly above league average first base. He's just become a shell of his former self. And even when he was his former self, he was underrated and undervalued in this town of people who largely want him to hit more home runs because he's six foot four. So he's always, yeah. it's kind of a no win career for Joe Maurer uh, in terms of pleasing the fans outside of 2009. But you turn me out of this. He's always been one of the best left handed hitters against left handed pitching in the league. He hit 224 against left handed pitchers last year with a 291 on base percentage and only five extra base hits and 127 plate appearances. Yeah. That's bordering on unusable against left-handed pitching. It's one year, but it, it also falls in line with the, uh, the devolving yeah. nature of his stat lines. Joe Maurer has become a platoon player at best. And even against right-handed pitching, 272, 383 on base, a 410 slugging percentage, obviously uh, no stolen base speed to speak of. Mm -hmm. Even as if, if you were to just leverage him against right-handed pitchers, he's 50 points off his career overall average in, in positions of strength right now. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting when you lay out those numbers for Joe Maurer, and I think he should be a platoon player who doesn't play on a regular basis, plays like three to four games a week, put him in situations where he can help the team not sink the team anymore. Platooning with uh, Jose Bautista, well, Joey Bats, Joey Maurer. Actually, I believe Bautista in recent years has been better against right-handed pitching. Wow. If you look at the numbers, I mean, he shoot. crushes both. So. All right, shoot, yeah. then that falls apart. <laughs> well, here though, I think a couple of things about Joe Maurer, and uh, and I posted this column to fifteen hundred ESPN dot com for anyone who's curious about it. It's just it's the latest in my twenty sixteen analysis series. We got to Joseph Patrick Maurer the other day, and. The one thing is that platoon split. I think the one thing that doesn't get mentioned enough about Maurer when he was at the height of his superpowers, right? You sort of had the Maurer bashers and Maurer defenders, I believe, of which you would classify yourself in the latter category. Now I'm a Maurer basher. But it's reasonable now. It's just, uh, but I mean, it's in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Uh, 12 was bad. But 2013, when there were people saying Maurer wasn't a good player, it was just like. 
mind-boggling that you would you would look at his 2013 numbers and think that. Yeah. But even I mean the thing then is even the Maurer defenders would say not enough praise about how good of a hitter Joe Maurer was against left-handed pitching. It's pretty rare that you get an even great left-handed hitter who's great against left-handed pitching. It's just it's it's harder to as a batter facing a pitcher of the same handedness, your your numbers are just going to go down. It's just it happens basically universally across the board. There are a few exceptions, but it happens more. Prove the rule. It happens more for lefties too, if you look statistically. And I think that's because they just face fewer of them. How right, many lefties do you see coming up? Yeah, usually the ratio is on any given team or any given league. It's like a seventy to seventy five percent right handed. Uh, group of pitchers. Mm-hmm. So if you're left-handed, right-handed batters just face more right-handed pitchers than left-handed batters face left-handed pitchers. And the you could even take that a step further and say righties, yeah, who are having to face their same-handedness, um, they they have more practice with that versus lefties also have more practice against the opposite-handedness. Yeah, that, so there's some the yeah. there's some fun stuff to dig into on that. But in a career that's been you know, borderline Hall of Fame, and we do have an episode where we spend the whole time we are sitting out in your patio downtown Minneapolis talking about is Joe Maurer a Hall of Famer? That's a, that's a full episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast, and I think we probably went for like, God, like half an hour. It's uh, some of to our best hour. work, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, that says more about. We're going to put it in the in the podcast <laughs> Hall of Fame at some point. I'd say that says more about. That's the, the irony. Joe Maurer might not make it, but that podcast, podcast episode will. I'd say it says more about the quality of the Hall of Fame than it does of the performance. <laughs> but that's another podcast. Um, in a career that was made great by being a much better hitter than his peers at his position, that would be catcher, and especially buoying those numbers with great numbers against lefties, uh, he really fell off in a big way in 2016 in that. And it's why I think, this is pure speculation, but when Molitor, uh, when Paul Molitor went on your radio show earlier this winter, this, was a, this would have been in November, I'm guessing, right around the time Falvey and Levine were hired and we were all kind of talking about the Twins um, and the tender deadline was coming up. It was in that time window and Molitor basically offered that, yeah, Mauer's probably going to get more rest this year. He's not going to be the everyday kind of player you've grown accustomed to in the past couple of seasons. He's going to be, um, I think he said, strategically rested or something like that. That sounds like a phrase Molitor would use. Strategically rested rather than benched. Yeah, he, but he's he, going to he be pointed benched. more to, to physical issues than uh, And he than talked a lot else. about the quads that were sore in August and into September and how his numbers took a, a huge dive. He's a physical wreck at, at that's this point. The, uh, that's the other point I want to get into is his two great months and then four months that were eh, gross. But Mueller talked almost exclusively about the quads and about the injuries and these, um, these sort of wear and tear that he's had on his body throughout the course of his career and throughout the course of 2016, just playing every day. Molitor said he basically thought he rode him a little too hard and that he might have worn down physically as a result. I think the fact that Molitor is going to bench him a couple of days a week has just as much to do with the fact that he can't hit lefties anymore as it did with his physical limit. Yes. Does that play into it? Of course it does. You want all of your players to be as fresh as possible by the end of the year. But I think the fact of the matter is... As great as Joe Maurer's career has been, I'm not convinced that he's an everyday player anymore, not only from a physical standpoint, but because he doesn't hit lefties the same way. You'd almost rather protect him with a right-handed platoon mate so that you can sit him against some tough lefties, which in the past would have been laughable to even think that, that you're going to sit Maurer against a tough lefty because 
Maurer just hits everybody. Yeah, but see, but see that that right there. So you, this is where the new front office heads have to draw a line in the sand, as PJ Fleck, the new Gophers coach, would say. It's time for this organization to draw a line in the sand, men. They can't treat Joe Maurer like the 27-year-old MVP Joe Maurer, or even like the multi-time batting, uh, batting champion outside of 2009 Joe Maurer. You have to treat him like he is right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying tap dance on his grave and disrespect a guy who's one of the great players in franchise history, although some fans would love to see Maurer finally get his comeuppance for stealing all that money. Um, they have to be objective when looking at this roster while being respectful and, and continue to play him in situations where it makes some sense. He's not an everyday player anymore. He shouldn't be treated like, uh, you know, he, he shouldn't be deified by any means. And I know that he grew up with a lot of the people that are in the organization on the field staff side and in the front office. So it's hard to probably draw that line for a lot of people, but it shouldn't be for Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. Sure. And, and Paul Molitor grew up. They're both from you know, from St. Paul, for crying out loud. So I know there's some emotional attachment there that runs deeper than other teams and other organizations that uh, that aren't from the same hometown. But do what you got to do. Yeah. If Kenny Vargas is ready to play more often and um, – if Byung-Ho Park somehow clicks and figures things out, or if Miguel Sano just needs to play first base, and and you need to put maybe somebody else in the three-hole or the two-hole, don't be afraid to bench Maurer for long stretches. Don't be afraid to hit him lower in the order, bat him seventh, eighth, or ninth. It's been four years since he was a viable middle-to-top-of-the-order bat. The only asset he really has left is a good on-base percentage, but it's no longer even an elite on-base percentage. In fact, his drop-off is, I mean, once he hit 30, 31 years old, it's one of the more amazing age cliff drop-offs we've seen in recent Major League history. Body broken down, catching, concussion, whatever it is, uh, you have to treat him like the 260, 265 hitter that he is. If, In fact, if you just put his numbers out and, and looked at the slash line and then tried to guess, you know, A, what position does this guy probably yeah. play? Like, oh, it looks like a middle infielder's numbers. Oh, but there's no stolen bases. Okay, well, maybe those play at catcher, but obviously he can't play catcher anymore. Well, th- that's not a guy that I'd want in my starting lineup. If you, if you just did the slash line blind uh, taste test, you would never put that guy in the middle of your order, let alone you, know, you would maybe even put that guy in your starting lineup on a regular basis. How so much, treat him like that. How much easier would it be... For Paul Molitor and Co. to do that if he didn't have two outstanding months last year, and I remember him having you know a blistering hot April and being like, "Oh wow, is Joe Mauer back?" And then he just kind of went away. I don't know how many people recognize what a terrific August he also had before he the injuries. He batted three thirty seven with a four nineteen on base and a five thirty three slugging. It's incredible. I guess part of the reason too. He he can't hold up over the course of six months anymore. Sure, and there's a lot of value in just being able to do that in baseball. Well, and a that's... lot of guys can get hot for a month or for a few weeks or for a couple months and even stagger those months. He used to get hot for six months I know, and, and win batting titles. Yes. So part of it's we're spoiled. And again, I don't want to disrespect a guy that I think is one of the great players in franchise history. But if you scale back on his workload. And if he was just a 100 to 120 yeah. game player who get who gets 400 plate appearances against matchups that he's likely to handle, isn't it more likely than not that he will produce at a higher level than a 260 average? I mean, th- that's how you get his average back toward 300. Scale back on the games, 
scale back on the left-handed pitchers. Yeah, it's t- it's it has to be tough if you're the Twins to see two tease months like August. And the fact that it came in August. Think about what August is for most players. It's the time where we joke about, you know, in the olden days, August would be when you'd be getting into the greenies and amphetamines because players were just wiped. You're just done. Maybe that's the solution. Just (laughs) screw the testing. Greenies. (laughs) Well, I think there are a lot of Twins fans who would hope that he might get popped uh, for roids because at least he was trying. I think that if it wasn't in August and it wasn't such an excellent month, it would be easier to just accept the fact all right, you know Joe Maurer still, and I know you're sort of you're sort of like dogging on him. He still had like a decent offensive season. You look at his final numbers because two of his months were great. It's decent. It's just not decent compared with other first basemen. That's what I found in my analysis, and I think it'd be so much easier to just accept that and say, well, yeah, I mean he's not the same guy he used to be. Um, I even put a line in my piece that basically I said. You know what? He had a great offensive year in 2013, and then a foul ball caught him on the mask in a makeup game against the Mets. Yeah. And he hasn't had an excellent offensive season ever since. That's we're just we're the never going to know the impact there either. We're that's, never going to truly know. And that's why it's got to be hard for the Twins to sort of see that tease come out every once in a while, but then the body of work. And if, if you look at his numbers when he's pulling the ball or when he's going to center field, just dreadful. There are a lot of causes for concern for Maurer going you know, forward. Because he did draw a ton of walks, especially early in the year, his OPS plus finished uh, above average, uh, 106. Right. Yeah. A couple years ago, it was 98. So he was actually, for the first time in his life in uh, 2015, was a below average offensive player according to OPS plus. But um, this this is the new reality. There is no more. I think the last two years, you could have legitimate conversations going into the year He'll bounce back and find a way. Like he, maybe he won't be the old Joe. I said Martin. that last year. Maybe he'll be Mark Grace. I thought so too. But a three-year run at this age, after that wear and tear, and knowing that his body uh, is breaking down in different areas the last few years, the new reality is he's played 412 games as a first baseman the last three years, and he's a 267 hitter who slugs 380. And he yeah. has 25 home runs in 1,760 plate appearances. And I'm going to say only 83 doubles, which is a lot lower than the doubles output he would have given you in his prime. I mean, this is the new reality. So you have to treat him as such. I'm curious to see who his platoon partner is going to be, right? If I'm the Twins, I might try to well, get a little my, creative. My other thought was Byung-Ho Park. Yeah. But he's actually far better against right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter. So maybe Kenny Vargas? Well, a switch have, hitter. my thoughts on Vargas and Park are fairly similar in that I think there's a certain percentage chance that they just aren't major leaguers. But there's also yeah, a Vargas certain, was amazing at the end of the year last sure. year. I'll give give Vargas like a like a 25% chance to be like an impact player in the big leagues for real stretches, not just kind of flash in the pan. I'm curious to know what each of those guys is going to be. I'm also curious to know how it's going to fit. I'm curious to know how Max Kepler plays into this. I'm curious to see what the Twins can do. Like, how much can you actually tweak your lineup day-to-day? Can you say, you know, I know that this regime is going to embrace platooning, and certainly Molitor's open to that idea, um, more so than they would have maybe five years ago under Ron Gardenhire and Terry Ryan. I think that's just fair to say. But, I'm curious to know to what extent and like to what end you can actually employ some of those tactics. There's there's just a certain roster limitation. Might have been cool to see the 26th man added in this CBA to see how that was going to impact strategy. 
we didn't get that. Uh, teams didn't get that. So we won't know for maybe five more years for how that might impact things. But I'm really curious to see with somebody and, and the elephant in the room, we haven't mentioned it yet, he's making $23 million a year. So how do you – I think that's a sunk cost, but how do you take that player that's going to be on your roster and maximize his value so that you can – I mean, theoretically, maximize the team's potential to win games. That's what I'm going to be curious to see under Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, and Paul Molliner. I'm mostly just curious to see what color suit Jose Batista wears to the introductory press conference. And if, unlike Byung-Ho Park, Jose Batista is willing to bring his bat flipping to target field. 